Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. It's not just the thought that counts, it's your thought. Because no matter how much time you spend picking out the perfect gift, the only thing they'll really care about is that it's from you. Here's to experiences they'll continue to cherish. Season after season, make this December one to remember. Together, click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN. Also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. And we're it's a Tuesday, which means we're talking about the Sunday night recap and the two doubleheader Monday night recaps in today's show. And of course, the all-important waiver wire report where we are moving forward into the very first week of of the fantasy football playoffs. The time is here. The championship runs begin now. And hopefully if you're listening to this show, it, I, actually I would probably go out on a limb and assume if you're listening to this show that you're actually still in the playoffs because if you're not, then you probably don't want anything to do with fantasy football or maybe even football for that matter, depending on how bad it is, whatever your favorite team might be too. So Glad you guys stuck with us throughout the entire season. Glad we were able to help you get to this point. Glad that we are able to hopefully continue your journeys on your way to a championship for that grand prize, for that trophy, and most importantly, for those bragging rights all over your friends because that is what fantasy football is truly all about. So we got a lot to get into in today's show. We will not... Again, we're not talking about the Tuesday night recap. It should be obvious because this show will be available to you guys early Tuesday morning. And no, we're not going to have a special episode on Wednesday just to recap one game. We don't normally have our episodes on Wednesday because I'm usually working on my rankings for the week upcoming. And we talk about that on Thursday. So if anything significant were to happen, we will talk about that in the preview show on Thursday. But otherwise, we'll just be moving on from 12 to 1.30 on Thursday and Friday, a normal scheduled time on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You can watch the stream live on Twitter and Facebook at WWSRN or at Show, And you can always catch it on the WWSRN app for iOS, Worldwide Sports Radio Network for the Android app. You can listen to the live stream there as well. Those are the best ways to listen to it live. Of course, after the show, it's always available to you on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go. We are widely available to you. So let's talk about the Sunday night game first, of course. And the Broncos played the Chiefs really, really tough. They did. They made this a close game throughout. The Chiefs actually had some issues punching it in when they got close, and they were able to hold them to quite a few field goals. But that's not the real storyline. The real storyline 
is Andy Reid. Raise your hand if you started Clyde Edwards-Alaire or if you even ranked Clyde Edwards-Alaire to have a very good game because you were told he was going to be activated for, against the Broncos. And you thought, you thought to yourself, if a guy who has the flu is still going to be activated for the game, then you would think that they would utilize said player. That you wouldn't activate a guy in these 2020 COVID times, even though it's a non-COVID illness, but still, you would not activate a player who is sick with a stomach bug or the flu, have him be on an NFL sideline where COVID has broken out in weeks past, just to have him stand there. You would not think for a second that they activated Clyde Edwards-Alaire just to be an insurance policy in case Le'Veon were to get hurt. That's what he was. I kind of thought to myself that there was a chance that he could be limited. We could see some more Le'Veon Bell. I did not think that they would activate him just to keep him on the sideline when the guy was sick all week long and didn't practice. I couldn't believe they bothered to do it. And I know... It screwed a lot of people out there. I know a lot of people are not going to be in the playoffs now this week because of that maneuver. Because they had CEH there on Sunday, hoping for a decent game, needing a decent game, and got goosed because he never took the field. Never took the field. That's the shame. It was a, it was a real shame to see. And... While you can't begrudge the Chiefs, kind of, I do kind of question the logic to having a player who is sick being active on the NFL sideline when you have COVID ramping around if he's not going to play the game. It's just one of those things. There's nothing you and as a fantasy owner, there's nothing you did wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. When Clyde Edwards-Alaire, a guy that you spent a second-round pick on, is said to be active, you play him. There's just... You, have, you don't have to blame. The only silver lining I can offer you is that you don't need to blame yourself. That's the only silver line I can offer you. But let's get into the actual game of the players who were on the field. So obviously, Le'Veon Bell was the guy who came in, and he was, yeah, 11 carries, 40 yards, two catches, 15 yards. Nobody ran that successfully. I mean, Daryl Williams, yes, he had the 6.3 yards per carry average, but a lot of that came on situations where they were out, you know, four wide and they had a couple delays. They, just, they put Darrell Williams in other positions to actually make explosive runs where they didn't really do that with Le'Veon Bell. When Le'Veon Bell was out there on the field and they were giving it to him, it was pretty obvious that they were looking to run the football. And it was only 11 carries. And it was against the Denver Broncos defense, which has been pretty tough against the run all week long. Or all year long, I should say. Le'Veon worked out a little bit more than Darrell Williams did in the passing game. Three targets to two. Two catches to one. A lot of people came out asking this. Well, like, well, is Le'Veon Bell even worth owning as a handcuff? The answer to that question is yes. I know this game wasn't very impressive, but look at it this way. Chiefs offense only put up 22 points in this game. It's one of the lowest point totals they've put up this season against the Denver Broncos in general. If this was a high-scoring game, and Le'Veon Bell did have some opportunities at the goal line in this game. Wasn't able to punch it in, but he had the opportunity, and they were able, they were willing to give him the football. This Chiefs offense puts up so many points and such good opportunities all the time that if Clyde Edwards-Alaire were to miss extended time at any point during the fantasy playoffs, Le'Veon Bell would at least be a high-end RB3. Probably would get ranked as an RB2. So yes, he does need to be owned. Do we know that Darrell Williams would still get worked in? Yes, we do know that. It would be about a 65-35 split, it seems like, with the way they played those two yesterday. But 65% of the work as a running back at the Kansas City Chiefs, you're playing in your fancy lines. So yes, Le'Veon Bell is still worth owning as a handcuff to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. 100%. As far as everybody else goes, I mean, the fantasy value doesn't change on these guys. Patrick Mahomes had one of his lowest fantasy totals of the year and still was 318 yards and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey was phenomenal. Eight catches, 136 yards, a touchdown on 13 targets. Tyreek Hill, the other big story of the day, had a 
had two touchdown passes taken away from him. One, because he didn't realize that he actually caught the ball. He thought that when the ball hit his helmet that it actually hit the ground. So they didn't throw the challenge flag. That should have been a touchdown for Tyreek Hill. And then he had another one called back due to a penalty. Both were bomb touchdowns. So Tyreek Hill was two plays away from having another huge performance. Still walked away with 10 targets, 6 catches, 58 yards. What it told me was that it has it takes fluke situations, apparently, to keep Tyreek Hill in check. That's what that game essentially told me. And now, we're talking about this in Monday Night Game, now that the Steelers lost in that game, we'll talk about that in a second, now all of a sudden Kansas City's in prime position to continue to want to be aggressive because these two teams are going to be playing it out to the end going for that first seed, going for that first round bye. And it's going to be tough between the two of them. As far as anybody else goes, because that's where the real story's at, Sammy Watkins had six targets. That was the third most on the team. Four catches, 35 yards. I want to keep saying he's got wide receiver three potential because we've seen six to eight targets in this offense. He just does. But the production hasn't been there. More importantly, no matter what the weapons have been this season, more so this year than any other year, Patrick Mahomes is just going to Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill over and over and over. In years past, they would spread it out a little bit. Everybody would get a little bit involved. But it would also be a pretty even split between the top three, between Hill and Kelsey and Watkins. And some of the problems that you had with some of the Chiefs pass catchers, Tyree Kill in particular, was that it was he wasn't always consistent because it could go to Watkins that game, it could go to Kelsey that game, it could go to Marcus Robinson that game. It's consistently now for about two months, really all season, but especially the last two months, where Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill have been getting double-digit targets in almost every single game. And then there's everybody else. And the thing is, is that it's working. You can make the argument that with the way Patrick Mahomes is playing, the way Tyree Kill is clearly 100% healthy and the way he's playing, Travis Kelsey, you can make an argument that this offense is better than two years ago when they lit the world on fire. Patrick Mahomes, although this game was a little bit of a hiccup because he only had one touchdown pass, is still in a position to throw for 50 touchdowns this season. So that, to me, is the storyline of anything where... You can expect Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill to be consistent, not not potential game league winners because they can have the biggest weeks at all of their position, but consistently at the elite top every single week. That's the difference in my mind. Let's flip it over to the Denver Broncos because there's not much else to talk about when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs. You know who you're playing. You know what these guys are worth. Melvin Gordon had a great game. 15 carries, 131 yards, tacked on two, uh, one catch for 11 yards, excuse me, on two targets. What was more impressive about that stat line was that it wasn't like he got the overwhelming majority of the work here. Philip Lindsay had 14 carries in this game, but he wasn't good. 14 of 26 with 26 yards. One target, no receptions. Melvin Gordon, I want to say since the DUI, Oh, not since the DUI, since two weeks after the DUI, when it seemed like the Broncos kind of had him in the doghouse a little bit, we're looking like maybe they wanted to get back to using Philip Lindsay as the main runner ahead of Melvin Gordon. There's been a switch that has flipped in Melvin Gordon since then, just in his overall play. He's running more angry. He's running more explosive. He's running as if he has something to lose. He's running as if he knows that if he continues to play the way that he was, that Philip Lindsay was going to overtake him. And since then, he's turned on the Jets. It was good to see him be able to have this type of a game with Philip Lindsay active and getting almost 50% of the work alongside of him when it comes to the carries. He's been running differently lately. Which is good to see because you're going to have some confidence being able to have Melvin Gordon in your lineup as that RB2 or as that flex play for your fantasy football playoffs. Now, Drew Locke was horrible, because Drew Locke is horrible. But having a legitimate quarterback back there showed you the difference for the wide receivers, for Tim Patrick in particular, who we're going to talk about again later on in the show. Four targets, four catches, 44 yards, but two touchdowns in this game. He continues to be the wide receiver that I want to own 
out of all the Denver Bronco wide receivers. There's been flashes for KJ Hamler. There's been solid games for Jerry Judy. But the guy who I has who has the biggest ceiling and just as much of a floor as those other guys is Tim Patrick. Noah Fant had a okay game. Four catches, 57 yards, seven targets. In today's day and age with a tight end position, you'll take it. You'll take it. He didn't score here, but you'll take it. Because he didn't kill you. He didn't lose you the week. Unless, of course, you're facing Darren Waller. Let's move on to the first Monday night game. Let's talk about Washington. Let's talk about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh were losing their first game of the year. And I'm I'm going to talk about something that's not necessarily directly fantasy relevant, but does play into it. The Steelers have to figure out an identity on offense. I shouldn't say that. Not an identity on offense. They have to figure out a way to be a little bit more balanced. We talk about the, the, the Seahawks and how they had to figure out a way to be a little bit more balanced because they were coming too one-dimensional. The difference between the Steelers and the Seahawks, we talked about yesterday, show how they've kind of lost their identity away by trying to be more balanced. For the Steelers, it's the exact opposite. Because for the Seahawks, they have a below-average defense. And their offensive passing attack was actually hitting big play after big play after big play. The Steelers' passing attack is not very impressive. It's not. For all the great wide receivers that they have, and having Ben Roethlisberger back in the lineup, it's not very impressive. It's purely volume-based. They're throwing the ball a ton. They've neglected the running game for a while now. This wasn't just this game that the running game was non-existent for the Steelers. It wasn't just that they're missing James Conner. It's been this way for a little over a month now. Where their running game just hasn't been a factor. At all. As a result, Ben Roethlisberger is hovering around 45 to 50 pass attempts almost every single week. He had 53 in this game. And they only had 17 points to show for it. He had over 40 pass attempts last week and only 19 points to show for it. That's why it's not very impressive. When you guys like Russell Wilson throwing the ball that much, they're putting up their over 30 points. That's the difference between the two. For all these great wide receivers, look at these stat lines. Juju Smith-Schuster, 10 targets, 7 catches for 28 yards. That's pathetic. 28 yards on 7 receptions? Deontay Johnson, he has a nice game. 12 targets, 8 receptions, 71 yards, a touchdown. That's not that great either for 8 receptions. Eric Ebron, again, you'll take his performance. 7 catches, 68 yards on 11 targets. And had 3 drops throughout the game. You'll take it from a fantasy perspective, but NFL-wise, not that impressive. The only guy who actually gets you know yards per catch is Chase Claypool, but only had 2 receptions this game on 4 targets. James Washington, 2 receptions, 80 yards, a touchdown on 4 targets. He, had a, he busted a 50-yarder. On your bench. Or not even owned, really, frankly. Those stat lines, especially the Schuster for 7 catches and 28 yards, those are the type of stat lines that we've been seeing more and more. We have been. We've been seeing that more and more out of this team. I don't know if Ben Roethlisberger is actually healthy. Remember a few weeks ago, he hurt his knee, and he was clearly not 100% in that game. I don't think he's actually been healthy since then. Because the amount of times they line up under center was already less than 50%. It went way down, which is a big reason why their running game is not working. And in today's game, I'm watching the game, and it was the first drive that the Steelers had. that They were down to the one-yard line on Washington, within the one-yard line. And instead of just using the one of the biggest quarterbacks in the NFL for a quarterback sneak, they did everything else but that. I feel as though Roethlisberger is just not healthy, and they know it. And that's why they've converted this offense into a spread them out dink-and-dunk type of attack when you have three wide receivers who can get open and beat anybody down the field. When you should have an adequate running game with a competent offensive line, and when James Conner's healthy, a solid running back in the NFL. It's non-existent. And this plays in from a fantasy perspective where PPR leagues, you don't care. You're gobbling up every Steelers wide receiver right now. doesn't matter to you. And Ben Roethlisberger continues to be a guy who's going to be in that top 12 territory because the volume is insane. 
But even when James Conner comes back, is he an RB2? Or is he just an RB3? Is he a high-end RB3 with low-end RB2 possibilities because his team will put him in opportunities to score? Sometimes, because then lately you've seen Benny Snell has been coming on those one-yard line goal lines at times and taking it away from James Conner there too. The big point on this, because the Steelers, you know what fantasy value you're getting and who you're going to play. You know you're playing Claypool, Schuster, Deontay Johnson, and probably at this point streaming Ben Roethlisberger almost every single week. You know you're playing Eric Ebron every single week. That doesn't change regardless. It's the running back situation. You're in the fantasy playoffs. I don't know if I'm looking at James Conner as somebody that I'm going to get more than eight points out of. And even that, I'm probably pretty happy to take. Eight to ten points. And that's pretty much like any scoring format. Eight to ten points. Because he doesn't get worked in the passing game nearly enough either. None of the running backs do. Even today, Anthony McFarlane had one target. Jalen Samuels had four targets. Benny Snell had three targets. Connor's lucky if he gets three targets. When he's in there. It's something to watch. They're going to have to figure something out. But you continue to play the quarterback, you continue to play the wide receivers. I think you have a real debate on your hands when it comes to James Conner. Because they that offensive line, they can't move, they're not moving anybody. And because they're not lining up under center, they're only running out of shotgun, their offensive line and their running backs aren't built for that. They aren't built for that to be their running game. They're not the Arizona Cardinals. They're not some of these other teams that you can see can successfully do it. That's not their style. And they need to get playing complementary football. For a team that's 11-1, I feel like there's a lot of holes here because they're not playing complementary football to their defense either. But I digress. That's where the fantasy value stands. Let's talk about Washington, who had a huge upset in this game to manage to keep pace with the Giants. I'm still convinced that Washington's the team who's going to win the NFC East. And, I mean, this win obviously goes a long way in helping with that. But I just don't believe in Daniel Jones and the Giants to actually be able to pull it out. I don't believe in them to do it. I think Washington's actually going to do it. Alex Smith, 31 of 46, 296 yards, a touchdown, no interceptions. He does what he needs to do. Now, the disappointment from a fantasy standpoint this week was Terry McLaurin. Two catches, 14 yards on six targets. This is the first bad game for Terry McLaurin. You can forgive it because it came against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, in a game in which Washington won against the Steelers, you would think McLaurin would have been more involved, but it's just not how it went. They sold out to take McLaurin out of this out of this game. And frankly, who can blame them? But as a result of that, things opened up for other players. Logan Thomas, nine catches, 98 yards, a touchdown on nine targets. Cam Sims looked very impressive when he had the ball in his hands. Now, he had a bad drop here and there, but when he had the ball in his hands and he was actually out in open space, he looked very impressive. Five catches, 92 yards on nine targets. And J.D. McKissick, this is where we had to get into the running backs. J.D. McKissick in the receiving game was actually the lead targeted guy. Ten catches, ten targets, 70 yards, Two carries for 14, uh, I'm sorry, five carries for eight yards in the running game. Antonio Gibson got hurt early in this game. Talk about another guy who probably cost somebody their fantasy playoff chances because he got hurt very early on. He only had two carries for 14 yards before he was knocked out of the game with a toe injury. Now, if you were able to survive this week or you were already set up for the playoffs and you have Antonio Gibson, I'm a little bit concerned for you. Because toe injuries when it comes to running backs, especially on a short week, I don't see him suiting up next week. And if it winds up being turf toe, it's usually, typically speaking, a two to four week injury, which could be the entire, it could be almost the rest of the season, a regular season anyway. And it could be the fantasy, it could mean the fantasy playoffs for you. Now, what does that mean in the meantime? Well, you saw the blueprint for what Washington's going to do if Antonio Gibson does, in fact, have to miss time. You saw the blueprint. It's, Peyton Barber will lead the way in carries. And he'll be a guy, as far as fantasy purposes are concerned, he either gets you a touchdown or he does absolutely nothing. And it doesn't just... His 14 carries to 23 yards is not just a reflection of the fact that they're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's a, that's a stat line of Peyton Barber, no matter who they're playing. You're not going to be playing Peyton Barber for fantasy purposes. But 
especially if you're in half point, full point PPR, J.D. McKissick is very interesting. Even if you're in standard leagues because of how involved he will be in the passing game while Antonio Gibson is out, he still actually has a floor in that respect too. But half point, full point PPR leagues especially, J.D. McKissick, who I would imagine because he has been playing less and less and less, Antonio Gibson was starting to get more work over the past few weeks, should be out there and available in a lot of your waiver wire leagues. We'll even look, we'll even... Talk about that in the waiver wire report. I don't give anything away. Teaser alert. But he's somebody who's going to be heavily involved now moving forward. So it's something to kind of keep your eye on. Is this the game? Does this mean that I'm now going to trust playing Logan Thomas at the tight end position? What was our theme in yesterday's show? It was don't overreact one way or another to one game. The answer is no. I'm not going to look to stream Logan Thomas over a slew of other tight ends and think that he's just automatically more valuable based on this game. He played very well. It also doesn't mean that I'm not going to look at Logan Thomas if he's an option to me at the streaming tight end, depending upon what's available, but not any more than what I normally was. or not any. Not, I'm not going to suddenly say that Logan Thomas is a top 12 tight end the rest of the way based on this game. It's probably a better way to put it. Will he be more on my radar when I'm looking to stream if he's available, depending on my options? Yes. But he's not going to automatically be, oh, he's a top 12 tight end the rest of the way. No. Plenty of more dud games for that ahead. This was a circumstance where the defense they were playing sold out to take Terry McLaurin away. More times than not, Terry McLaurin will be the guy getting double-digit targets, and everybody else will be kind of second fiddle to that. So that wraps it up for the first Monday night game. Then we lead our way into the second Monday night game between the Bills and the San Francisco 49ers and what frankly wound up being a much higher scoring affair than I was anticipating heading into this week. Buffalo Bills winning this game 34-24 to in this matchup. Josh Allen, he played impressively. He, he did. He looked more like the Josh Allen that we saw in the beginning of this season rather than the one we've seen lately. Uh, honestly, and it was on the road in this game, although technically the 49ers were too, let's be real. But it was on the road this game against a defense that looked pretty sharp last week against the Rams offense and looked like they might be bouncing back and looked like they could still be a strength of this team moving forward and went 32 of 40, 375 yards and four touchdowns. It doesn't get much better than that, especially when you're talking about Josh Allen. If you're waiting for Allen to make his return performance to a elite-level quarterback, you got it in this game. Now, he does play the Pittsburgh Steelers next week, which will be interesting, but this at least gives you some hope that maybe the days of Josh Allen giving you QB1 overall-like performances are not in the past, but can still be had ahead. Something that Russell Wilson owners and Kyler Murray owners maybe don't necessarily have the same hope that Josh Allen owners now do coming out of this game. I think that was the most interesting part of it. Obviously, you were never going to bench Josh Allen to begin with, but if you're trying to figure out exactly what kind of quarterback you have heading into your fantasy football playoffs, I think he showed you something in this one. Now, again, first round of playoffs, he's going to have to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not great, but it gives you a little bit more confidence after watching this game. As far as the wide receivers go, Cole Beasley was on absolute fire. Nine catches, 130 yards, and a touchdown on 11 targets. If the slot receiver can be had with no John Brown on the field, Cole Beasley can perform. We've talked about this in the past. If John Brown's not out there, then there is going to be an extra target share to Cole Beasley. Now, the reason, the big reason to me why he didn't show up too much last week is because they're going up against a good slot corner situation. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. 
and Gabriel Davis was able to take advantage as a result of that. 49ers, without Mosley in there, did not have a good slot situation in this game, and he was able to take advantage of that. Stephon Diggs continues his incredibly high floor ways with this incredibly high volume that he just gets every single week. 10 catches on 11 targets, 92 yards. It's been a while since he scored a touchdown. And frankly, it's been a while since he's gone over 100 yards. But he keeps getting these 80 to 90 yard performances with these 8 to 10 catch performances on top of it. He just gives you a high floor and a high floor. And I'm telling you right now, that ceiling game is on the way. It's coming. It's going to be soon. He's had too much opportunity to not break out for a huge game at some point over the next couple of weeks. And he's just one of the best consistent plays you've really had so far this season with the way he's been targeting this offense. And Gabriel Davis, who's been kind of on the radar a little bit for fantasy purposes, more maybe more so for DFS, but he found a way to get a touchdown in this game too. Three catches, 68 yards, touch on four targets. John Brown, I believe, as of right now, is eligible to return in Week 15. Not that you're going to want to play John Brown, and not that you're looking to hang on to Gabriel Davis until then, but just to give you an idea on what the value of Cole Beasley is, because he has become somebody who you cannot ignore if the matchup is there and no John Brown is in the lineup. So when you're going to Week 14, the matchup's not there. Pittsburgh's very good against the slot receiver. The perimeter receiver can have success in in, in the past throughout this season. Stephon Diggs will be set up where he could have success against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the slot receiver, because Mika Fitzpatrick winds up covering that area of the field so often, doesn't typically have a good game against the Steelers, normally speaking. So Colt Beasley's not somebody I'm looking to play next week, which is why it's important to note that Week 15 could be the return of John Brown. So who knows if Colt Beasley's going to be a guy that you're actually looking at for any fantasy football reasons moving forward. The running back situation, uh, Zach Moss wound up in the doghouse. He did. Zach Moss wound up in the doghouse. He had a fumble early on. It was very costly. It wound up giving the 49ers a 7 nothing lead. Now, ultimately, it didn't matter as far as the game goes, and I don't believe that Zach Moss or this team is a situation where they're going to have him be in the doghouse now going into next week either. So I don't think the value between Devin Singletary and Zach Moss necessarily changes coming out of this week. But what it does show you is that in a situation where the running backfield is so close as far as who's going to be the guy from a week-to-week basis, if one of them makes a mistake, one of them can get put in the doghouse in favor of the other one. It's, it's It can happen. They're on that short of a leash. He only had three carries, nine yards in this game. He, just, he didn't play much after that. Didn't play much after that fumble. While Devin Singletary went off for 18 carries, only 61 yards, not a great matchup to begin with on the ground anyway, but the fact that he got 18 carries and then tacked on, three receptions on four targets for 22 yards. He had 21 touches in this game at the end of it, while Zach Moss only had four total touches. That has not been that kind of a discrepancy with both of these guys healthy and on the field at the same time at any point this season. And again, like I said, I don't anticipate Zach Moss... Uh, being in the doghouse again next week. So that also speaks to Devin Singletary. It wasn't like all of a sudden, oh, we have to think about Devin Singletary being the lead back now heading into next week either. Remember, don't overreact to one game or another. Actually feel through what happened here. Zach Moss fumbled, and that's what led to that. On the 49ers side of the ball, Nick Mullins winds up going for 300 yards and three touchdowns and two interceptions, and from a fantasy standpoint, it's not bad. Not that you're looking to stream Nick Mullins, but a lot of this statistical output came in garbage time. Now, for fantasy football purposes, it doesn't matter when it comes, and that was big time for Debo because Debo owners were getting nothing, and I mean nothing out of him for the majority of this game until it became garbage time at the end. He has six catches, 73 yards on nine targets. You're going to look at that and you're going to say, like, oh, well, you had nine targets alongside of Brandon Ayuk. But the fact is, had it not been for the game script, had it not been for garbage time, Debo Samuel only had one or two receptions in this game. That's it. I talked about this leading into this week. Everybody wanted to, it felt like everybody, at least to me, wanted to crown Debo Samuel a wide receiver two and an automatic must play in your fantasy football lineups the rest of the way. And I bucked that. I, was, I felt like I was the only one saying no. And he wound up giving you an, a decent game here, ultimately. Six catches, 73 yards. But again, like I said, look at the game script. It's lucky. It was garbage time. And what I said would come to fruition, exactly what came to pass. With Brandon Ayuk back in the lineup, Debo Samuel's not the featured guy. 
Debo Samuel is still not quite in game shape. We saw that at the end of this game where he had to come out and catch his breath. He's not quite there because he hasn't played much this season. Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel will eat into each other, making them both wide receiver threes on a week-to-week basis. Now, Brandon Ayuk had a nice game here. Five catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown on his nine targets. Could have been two touchdowns at the end, quite possibly. Just got you know got thrown out just a little outside of his reach, but he was open in the end zone. They're going to eat into each other. The targets are going to get split between the two. Now, that's not to say that two receivers in an offense, generally speaking, can't coexist, because we all know that they can but not necessarily in this offense. We know that the 49ers, if their game script is going the way they want it to, it's because their run game is working and their defense is working. And normally speaking, when that is the case, only one wide receiver is actually going to get to eat that game. And that one wide receiver is going to rotate between Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. Only when they wind up in game scripts like this, which are not favorable to the San Francisco 49ers, Will there be a possibility for more than one pass catcher to be able to have a decent fantasy day? They eat into each other because they do a lot of the similar things. They're not they're they're very similar wide receivers. It's not like one has a downfield red zone role while the other one operates in the intermediate short part of the field. They both go back and forth in what they're going to be asked to do. Therefore, they're both going to eat into each other. Therefore, they're only wide receiver threes. They're not automatic must plays. It's going to depend on the matchup. And there are some matchup coming up in these fantasy playoffs that you might want to take note of. But they're not automatic plays. Keep the same, keep a realistic expectation here. The other thing that I'll mention, Jordan Reed, three catches, 32 yards, a touchdown, four targets. If you wound up streaming Jordan Reed, he came through for you because of the touchdown. I will say, though, I made the note that Debo Samuel didn't get a lot of his production until the garbage time part of the game. Yet Jordan Reed was the last touchdown of the game. He really didn't get his production until the garbage time part of the game as well. Ross Dwelly, who had two targets, two catches, 29 yards, wasn't targeted as much as Jordan Reed was, but was on the field so much more that it really limited the opportunities of Jordan Reed throughout this game. And that has been the case. I thought at this point we would see Jordan Reed start to play a little bit more and a little bit more coming off the injury. It's kind of stayed the same as far as the snap count goes. Now, Overall, Jordan Reed, I do believe, is still a streaming tight end candidate because he had last week he had seven targets. This week he does get the touchdown, but it's a little bit concerning when Dross Dwelly is playing as much as he is because he's the better blocker. Outside of that, the running the backfield for the 49ers continues to be a mess. I'm still more times not going to want to play Raheem Mostert, but it's clear that Jeff Wilson Jr. has gained significant favor with Kyle Shanahan. He had seven carries to Raheem Mostert's nine, and he actually had 47 yards to Raheem Mostert's 42. The big thing, though, Tevin Coleman's first game back, only two carries, negative 11 yards, which is crazy. Uh, And then Jerick McKinnon was not even used in this game at all, in any capacity. And he had been worked in as kind of like the passing down guy a little bit here, even last week in this game. He just he wasn't even he wasn't even a thing. Jeff Wilson Jr., if he's going to get this kind of share, you have to limit what your expectations are going to be then for Raheem Mostert. If he's going to be this much of a thing, and we know that Kyle Shanahan will look to use Tevin Coleman at some point as well, then this hope that Raheem Mostert could return to what he was in the beginning of the season, which was this RB2 who was explosive enough to catapult himself in the RB1 territory any given week is going to have to be looked at as a guy that you're hoping is a big play or bust guy as an RB2 as a flex play. That's the difference right now between now. These are these first two games back and he's missed significant time. And I do believe that in a more positive game script for the 49ers, what they want to do, Raheem Mostert will get worked in a little bit more and have these more big explosive plays ahead of him. He's Like I said, he's still a guy that I'm going to want to have in my lineup because of the pop that he can gives you, and he's still going to be the lead back at the end of the day on the 49ers roster. So you're still going to want him in there. But you're going to have to limit your ceiling expectations, or I should better say you're going to have to have better expectations as far as what his floor can potentially be, especially in game scripts like this, and especially with Jeff Wilson Jr. getting worked into the significant role that he was as well 
there was I, there was this idea, and I was part of it too, where we thought maybe because we knew the 49ers needed a boost in the offensive game, we knew that would come from the running game, especially from Raheem Mostert, because that's really their big play, not necessarily their passing game. We thought there was a chance that Mostert could come in and be the lead guy as far as being almost guaranteed 15 carries a game. It hasn't been the case for the first two weeks. He scored a touchdown last week, so he saved you there. This week was a bust. It's just it's the 49ers carousel. Kyle Shanahan wants to use all of his backs. And maybe as Raheem Mostert carries on and gets further into game shape, maybe he'll start to play a little bit more and a little bit more. But for now, you have to kind of consider him more of a low-end RB2 because of his low floor, but he still has that ceiling, that potential pop that keeps him in your lineups. But maybe he's just not going to be as consistent as you're hoping for when he came back. That wraps it up for our recaps. Now it is time. It is time for the waiver wire report. It is time to begin the process to start looking forward to week 14. And to be honest with you guys, the waiver wire report itself today is pretty short. But that's what you expect it to be when you're heading into the playoffs because you're narrowing your search. The big thing about the waiver wire during the playoff week is that you have to prioritize what's actually important. I know that sounds redundant, but it's I mean I mean it in this way. You're not looking, at least not as a priority anyway, for plug and play players. At this point, the buys are done. If you're in the playoffs, then you're probably one of the few teams that survived the injury riddled season. Survived a lot of things. So you're probably probably not in a position where you're looking for a player to pluck off the waiver wire and play at your RB2, your wide receiver 2, or even maybe your flex. Maybe maybe you're looking for somebody in your flex position. Maybe. But most likely, you're a team that's not really in that situation. So the plug-and-play players, and I'll talk about them first, just to get them out of the way. These are the guys that should be last on your list to go after when it comes to your playoff team's roster construction. And, and it's mostly made up of wide receivers. Now, the guys that I think you could be looking at, potentially, would be guys like Kiki Kuti, 12% owned on average after the big game he just had. We talked about it yesterday. He was definitely going to be on the waiver wire report this week. They play against Chicago Bears. Not a great matchup, but again, because the targets have now drastically slimmed down to Kuti and Brandon Cooks, and even though Brandon Cooks didn't have the big game this past week, remember he missed a little bit of the game because he was getting checked out for a concussion issue, it's gotten down to those two guys. The slot receiver, whether it's been Randall Cobb, whether it's been Brandon Cooks, so far this season has been the receiver that Deshaun Watson has leaned on the most. That will be Cootsie no matter what the situation happens with the, with the Houston Texans. So he's a guy that you could potentially plug and play at the flex position. Tim Patrick, another one of those guys, talked about him, how he is the wide receiver that I want to own the most on the Denver Broncos because he's the guy who has the potential to go over 100 yards. He's the guy who has the potential for the touchdowns, more so than a Jerry Judy, more so than a K.J. Hamler. So he's another guy who could be a plug-and-play option. He's only 15% owned on average and been on our waiver wire report for a while now. He has value. Alan Lazard mixes into that role. You have the Green Bay Packers. You know that you know they have a nice little schedule set up here. He got a touchdown last week. He's been working in more and more each week now that he's coming back from his injury. Alan Lazard's a guy, 29% owned on average, who gets into that conversation. And then the last guy, but I shouldn't say the least guy because it's interesting that he was able to make his way onto this list, is T.Y. Hilton. He's only 46% owned on average. And I, yesterday's show, I talked about how I'm not going to get cute during my fantasy playoffs. You can't trust Philip Rivers. You can't trust a Colts pass catcher. You can't trust a Colts skill player because the way they rotate guys. That is still very much true. But when I was putting together this waiver wire report earlier today, and I thought to myself, if I'm going to put guys like Tim Patrick and Keegan Kute and Alan Lazard on this list as the quote-unquote plug-and-play category guys if you're looking for flex play, well then I can't really ignore the fact that the Indianapolis Colts have a great matchup against the Raiders this week, and T.Y. Hilton over the past two weeks has been the lead receiver. Now that doesn't mean that they can't flip on a dime, and that's why ultimately I don't want to trust it. And ultimately, I would actually rather have a Tim Patrick or a Key Kuti because I can... 
I know exactly what I'm going to get out of them as far as what the role in the offense is going to be than a T.Y. Hilton this week. However, I can't not have T.Y. Hilton's name, who's less than 50% owned on average throughout the major platforms, along with those other guys. Because the value arguably right now has to be the same. And when you add up the fact that Hilton's playing the Raiders, and then if you were to advance, he's playing Houston again in Week 15, that's where he has some interesting fantasy relevancy once again coming back from the dead, essentially. The other aspect to this is where he's playing. He's playing more of the slot receiver role now. They've kind of moved Michael Pittman to the perimeter, which is more of what type of wide receiver he is. But again, I've, I've harped on this in the past. If if Philip Rivers has a clear-cut slot wide receiver, that's the wide receiver he's going to lean on the most. Hilton's now, instead of playing on the perimeter and running all those go routes out there, which is why he's getting left out to dry all season long. And it wasn't until these past two games he's finally getting double-digit points from a fantasy perspective because of that. Now that he's slid in these past couple of weeks to the slot receiver spot, there's a chance, there's a chance that this success in these matchups for the next two weeks could continue. There's a chance. Again, I'd rather have a Tim Patrick or Kikuti. I would take Helton over Lazard because there's just more of a ceiling there. But I know what their roles are going to be week in and week out with the Colts. It could flip on a dime at any given moment. But Hilton can't be ignored if you need a flex play or a wide receiver three or something of that nature. But again, he falls into the category of the plug-and-play players, which are the lowest on my priority for your priorities, waiver wire orders this week. If that makes any sense to you, and I think it does. Uh, outside of that, these are these other guys are the guys that I think you should be focusing in on. Guys like Jordan Reed, 50, 15% own. He's still a streaming tight end available. You're still looking around for streaming tight ends every single week. That doesn't really change, even though you're going into the fantasy playoffs for a lot of people. The players that you should be really looking at hard are your handcuffs. Adrian Peterson, 36% owned on average. We don't know if DeAndre Swift's going to play. And from what we hear, we're hearing, he, he did clear the concussion protocol and he was only sick last week. But there's been a lot of rumors about whether or not DeAndre Swift is still really himself. Adrian Peterson had some comments about that last week. Against Green Bay, if Swift doesn't go, Adrian Peterson is looking at another possibility of a repeat two-touchdown performance. I mean, just is against Green Bay. It's, it's a great matchup for a running back. If you're DeAndre Swift owner... You need to own Adrian Peterson because you want a Detroit running back in this matchup this week against Green Bay. That's what you want. So being that he's only 36% owned right now, that means there's a lot of DeAndre Swift owners out there that have an Adrian Peterson available to them. And again, if you're in a situation where you find out that DeAndre Swift's not going to play and you're looking for a flex or an RB2 this week, well, Peterson could be somebody that you turn to. But handcuffs are the name of the game. Philip Lindsay. Only 45% owned. I was shocked he fell below the 50% threshold. If you're a Melvin Gordon owner, you have to own Philip Lindsay. You have to. First of all, he's getting worked in, and he's kind of at that point where you're debating as a, as a ranker, as an analyst, whether or not you're ranking him as a flex play to begin with. Not to mention the value that he has potentially if something were to happen to Melvin Gordon. So if you're a Melvin Gordon owner, you have to own Philip Lindsay. You have to own Alexander Madison. I'm, and I'm really sick and tired at this point of having to bring his name up. Get it through your heads, Dalvin Cook owners. Have Alexander Madison already on your bench. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. Don't sit there and let somebody else grab him if something happens to Dalvin Cook. You know he's had a heavy workload. You know he's a little bit banged up. You know he's not 100% right now. He's not fresh. I know Madison just had the illness, which is what led him to being out this past week. Go get Alexander Madison. Please. It doesn't make any sense. None whatsoever, especially not in your playoffs. So those are the things you want to do. Then there's a third category, which I would call the medium category. The top category would be get your handcuffs, solidify your fantasy rosters for the next three weeks. Pick up whatever defenses you want. You think you're going to want to have ahead of time. Make two slots for defenses if you have that. If you have some guys with some good matchups coming up so that way you're not streaming there. You want to do everything in your power to simplify and solidify your rosters for the next three weeks. I... I Look, I know it's a week-to-week game, and it's do-or-die time in Week 14, and you do want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to give yourself the best position to win this week for sure. But don't sell yourself short. Think about the next three weeks in general, especially if you have a starting lineup in which you're already pretty confident in. Take that opportunity to do it. 
So the handcuffs should be the top priority. Then in the middle, before you get to the plug-and-play guys, is the lottery tickets. Now, the lottery tickets can actually go hand-in-hand with some of the handcuff guys. If you have spots on your benches to pick up an Alexander Madison, to pick up an Adrian Peterson, to pick up a Philip Lindsay, somebody of that nature, then you should go ahead and do so. 100%. You should go ahead and do so. Now, on the flip side of this, if you have guys like Cam Akers available, who's only 35% owned, while I talked about yesterday again, that game did not signify to me that it became Cam Akers' job. What I did notice was that Daryl Henderson got banged up, and Daryl Henderson has gotten nicked up over the past few weeks kind of consistently here. And he hasn't been 100% in a little while now. It's kind of why he's been worked down and why you've seen Malcolm Brown in these situations. So taking a flyer, taking a lottery ticket potentially on a Cam Akers is a smart idea. Another lottery ticket potentially could be Zach Moss. Something where it happened to Devin Singletary, all of a sudden Zach Moss is looking at a great work work share in front of him. Even on the Buffalo Bills where I know utilizing the running back hasn't been great, but look back to when Zach Moss was out for a few games there. The volume that Devin Singletary saw is something that you would definitely want to have for Zach Moss and would make him utilizable in, that's even a word, I'm not sure, but you can utilize him in the RB3, in the flex territory, or possibly even an RB2 because the volume will be there. So again, it's another lottery ticket. Those are, those are the priorities in which you're looking at these players. Now, of course, you know, like I said, Make sure you're doing what you can to win the current week in front of you, but don't sell yourself short in looking ahead over the next three weeks. Because if you win that first round and you already have yourself set up for the second round, it just increases your chances to get to that championship by that much more. So don't be afraid to look a little bit ahead, especially if you're good with where your lineup is at. But that's it for the waiver wire report. I mean, like I said, it was a short list. There's not many guys to go off of. Because, again, you're looking to simplify and solidify your rosters. So you're not going to be looking to pick up anybody who might have any fantasy value at all under the sun because it's going to be irrelevant if they can't crack your starting lineup no matter what the scenario is over the next three weeks. So it changes. The way you look at the waiver wire report changes when you're in the fantasy playoffs. And that actually does it for the show. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back on Thursday at 12 o'clock to 1.30 on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We'll be live. Make sure you're checking it out on social media. At WWSRN on Twitter and or Facebook is Worldwide Sports Radio Network or at Belly Up MDFF Show. Also, make sure you're following us at that tag on Facebook or Twitter for those player news update notifications. Make sure you check out bellyupfantasysports.com. I usually have the rankings up for the week upcoming by late Wednesday night, so make sure you're checking that out for, for those as well. Make sure you're downloading the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app on Android, WWSRN on iOS, or after the show is over, check out on your favorite streaming app, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to go. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is available to you. Bucker down, guys, because we're going to have some big shows on Thursday and Friday as we preview the first round of the playoffs. Until then, everybody stay safe, take care, and if you're waiting for that Tuesday night miracle, I hope it comes to you. <laughs>